The men who followed this flag 150 years ago knew what it meant. Treason against their country. The death of a United States. America defeated the men who followed that flag. Those with honor surrendered and cast it aside forever. So why does it keep showing up today at events supporting Donald Trump? And why does he call the folks who carry it very fine people? I think there's blame on both sides, but you also had people that were very fine people. What does it say that they're all in for Trump? What does it say that he won't condemn a flag of hate, division, and losers? For us, it says this is a time for choosing America or Trump. So our first speaker is uh, Richard Proceda. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Right. And I think he's from the Truth and Democracy Coalition. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. And Richard will be honoring us with a seven minute speech um, about critical race theory and the pros and cons of that. So over to you, Richard. Okay. Am I ready to start? You are. Okay. So obviously I can't critique all of critical race theory in seven minutes. So what I want to do is provide you some resources, which I put in the chat already, say one thing about critical race theory, and then share some examples of bad anti-racist propaganda, which is a product, I believe, of CRT and is associated with CRT supporters. And I hope that by sharing my experience with you, you will better understand where I'm coming from. But first, I want to tell you about John McWhorter and his book, Woke Racism, How a New Religion Has Betrayed Black America. Dr. McWhorter is an African-American professor of American studies at Columbia University in New York, and also professor of political philosophy at Georgetown, Joshua Mitchell, and his book, American Awakening, Identity Politics and Other Afflictions of Our Time. And in fact, I did a podcast where we had Professor Mitchell talk about his book, and I put that link in the chat as well. And then you can find my podcast at youtube.com slash at Truth and Democracy Coalition. So a few things about CRT. We're playing kind of a shell game when we say that we're not teaching CRT in our public schools. There are things that are derivative of CRT. Whenever you talk about systemic racism, equity, intersectionality, anti-racism, you're talking about CRT. One problem with CRT is that it is highly negative towards the Constitution and our founding fathers. You may have heard that the founding fathers owned slaves and wrote a constitution designed to maintain white power and privilege. As a result, the constitution is indelibly stained, irreparably flawed, and needs to be rewritten. At this time, when democracy is threatened around the world, we need people to believe in democracy and to defend the constitution. We must not tear down the foundational documents of our democracy. 
simply because the founders of our nation did not live up to the standards they set for the country does not mean that the principles laid out in the Constitution are unsound. The Constitution is a living and breathing document. The founders gave us the right to amend it, and we have. Our founders were doing something new. There were furious debates. The United States Constitution has become a model for countries throughout the world. So we need our Constitution. We need people to defend the Constitution and to fight for democracy. We need to build up our democratic institutions, not tear them down. This is an example of how CRT is often wrong and too negative about America and American history. These criticisms are being used to set Americans against their own democratic institutions. Our schools should teach individual rights protected by our Constitution rather than encouraging young people to, identi to primarily identify by race and gender identity. So let's look at the propaganda we've been exposed to over the last few years, at least some of it. Remember those anti-racist books and anti-racist trainings that many of us have gone through in some form or another? Some more expensive four-hour indoctrination sessions disseminated to companies, churches, political groups, political parties, and now to our schools? Let's talk about some of this early anti-racist propaganda. Remember, we're all racist. America is a racist nation. America is indelibly stained. I object to the characterization of an entire people, an entire nation, as racist and stained. White people should step back, shut up, and listen. They should examine themselves and not take leadership positions. This was not my plan. In fact, I wrote an article Progressive white men step up, not back. And I provided a link to that in the chat. There is no scarcity of free speech. We need more people speaking, not less. There is no scarcity of leadership positions. Everyone is a leader. That's what we do in social movements. We train leaders. Defund the police. What I want to point out here is that the media, politicians, Activists and political organizations are often invested in the conflict. They don't make money finding solutions. They make money stoking division. As one author put it, they use chaos as a ladder. All we have to wait for is a minority-majority nation. What foolish, wishful thinking. We are losing many immigrant communities like Cubans, Vietnamese and Latinos, we can't simply divide the nation over race and expect to win in the end because of the impending demographic shift. Trump is just a symptom. He's simply the product of our racist nation. No, Trump is not just a symptom. Trump is a propagandist. Trump is a cause. We don't get widespread white supremacy without people like Donald Trump. How could African-American leaders like the Reverend William Barber not recognize the threat Trump posed to democracy 
and voting rights. Everything is about race. No, some things are about democracy. There was an attempt to incorporate every social issue into the anti-racist narrative, including the pro-democracy movement, thereby subordinating them to the anti-racist agenda. This is why we talk about multicultural democracy as opposed to liberal democracy or American democracy or simply democracy. I will never forget hearing a professional anti-racist propagandist instruct leftist organizers to use the language of voting rights rather than democracy because she said, young people don't believe in democracy. It's too abstract. If young people don't believe in democracy, it's because they're being taught wrong. If young people don't believe the Constitution is worth fighting for and liberal democracy worth fighting for, it's because they're being taught wrong. That's all I have time to say. That, I'm going to introduce our second speaker, which is Debbie Sue Reisdorf. Debbie Sue is a discrimination lawyer, attorney in California, and the bullying prevention, bullying, sorry, bullying prevention program founder of BARE, the Bully, Bully Awareness Resistance Education. Debbie Sue is working in the pathway of motivational strategies. This speech project is level three elective. Connect with your audience, eight to ten minutes. CRT. It isn't just about race. Welcome, Debbie Sue. Thank you. In 1992, I was on a team of lawyers. They represented a top sales Toyota salesman. Now, his boss is from Nebraska. And nearly every day as he entered the workplace, he was confronted by his boss taking his necktie and saying, we lynch him where I come from. Even days when he didn't have a necktie on, he engaged in that offensive gesture. Obviously, one, because one of the managers started crying on the stand, not realizing how it impacted this salesman that this was being said to him every day. We won because the law prohibits this kind of behavior. It was a message to the world that such behavior is impossible. And then 20 years later, I discovered that a Los Angeles high school had a wrestling student who entered the gym for practice and he encountered a brown dummy with a noose hanging from the ceiling. As he ignored that and walked into the locker room, he's accosted by several other students. They tie him up to a locker, walk away saying, slave for sale, slave for sale. The principal of Santa Monica High School erased the cell phone evidence rather than reporting it to the police. But the information got out because the parents learned about it from another appalled parent. Yes, discrimination still happens in isolated places, but we must fight it. And I'm here to tell you that CRT is not the way to do it. I tell you these stories because you need to know my heart. I talk about this emotionally triggering issue because it's important 
I've dedicated my life as a child and as an adult to combating racial and all kinds of discrimination in the workplace, in our schools, and in our communities. While we were in lockdown and we were worried about COVID, something was happening. At that time, across the country, parents start looking at what are their kids being taught? It includes identity politics, racism awareness, and it's all creating hostility. Now, why do I raise identity politics? Because CRT is not just about race. In May 2020, after a police officer placed his knee on the neck of a black man during arrest, all America was outraged. We demanded an investigation. But the agenda that arose out of that one incident instigated an entire summer of destructive riots. And that incident became the symbol of white supremacy over black people through force of law and hate. As true Americans, we do not accept racial discrimination. It's in our laws. We stand up against it. And as jurors, we award large sums of money for its violation. Yet, sadly, some discrimination still occurs. So we continue to fight. Here in Alabama, where the civil rights movement started, we teach our students about slavery and racism in history, and that as a culture, that behavior is no longer acceptable. So when the riots continued, I watched with a broken heart, and I began to follow the rhetoric of the Black Lives Matter, and I tried to understand why. I was working towards a master's degree in restorative practices, and in our classes, because of my whiteness, I was told that I am racist, or I have to be anti-racist. And what is anti-racist? Well, that means admitting that racism is systemic in America, and that it's worse now than when the civil rights began, and that every person in America is racist, and that we should avoid microaggressions so we don't offend. I was watching every word I say to make sure that I did not offend another black person. We were told that blacks must get reparations because they're victims. And then if we didn't agree to be anti-racist, that as a white person, I'm a racist. And I'm part of that systemic racism in America. We were told that blacks are entitled to benefits to help them be equal to whites. It was no longer about we work for our accomplishments the American way. Rather, it was that we, the oppressors, need to help the oppressed. And I want you to remember those two words, oppressor and oppressed. As an adult, I struggled with all this set of concepts. At some schools, you saw white kids being allowed to treat black kids just like the white kids were treated, uh, the black kids were treated in the 50s. You know, only one drinking fountain. They were calling each other derogatory names and they were telling them, be my slave. And they called this critical race theory. It went to our military, our schools from middle school to college, and it changed the way we treat one another. So I've been doing research on critical race theory. I will give you a huge bibliography with vast resources from all sides of the spectrum. 
But the most convincing book I read was by James Lindsay. And James Lindsay is a scholar at the University of Wisconsin. He was at that very first meeting in 1989 where Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, Richard Delgado, and a number of others were there to talk about framing a study that is about the relationship among race, racism, and power. Somebody characterized this group as a bunch of Marxists, as a joke. And then Derek Bell. Now, he's been identified as the godfather of CRT. But actually, it was Kimberly Crenshaw who coined the phrase critical race theory. And this is how she describes how CRT came to be. She says this group was organized by a collection of neo-Marxist intellectuals, former New Left activists, ex-counterculturalists, and other varieties of oppositionalists in law school. And at the Conference on Critical Legal Studies, it was a network of openly leftist law teachers, students, and practitioners committed to exposing and challenging the ways that America American law served to legitimize an oppressive social order. So that's where this concept arose, out of the minds of Marxist scholars and activists. And it's a theory, not a scientifically supported concept, but an opinion of a bunch of people who studied Marxism. So how does this relate to Marxism, I'm wondering? And I'm going to give you an overview of what I discovered out of the volume of books I read in this way. Marx created a class war. As you recall, he defined them depressors and the oppressed. He used those French words that I may butcher, <laughs> bourgeoisie and proletariat. Bourgeoisie is now defined in the Webster Dictionary as a middle class person or a person influenced by private property interest. And a proletariat is defined as the lowest social or economic class of a community. Basically, a person without property, and this is important. This concept arises out of the circumstance that at any point in history, whoever holds the prize has the advantage over others. Now, in this context, the prize is not like the trophy in a football game, but rather the prize is power. The prize is always power, and power includes influence and wealth. Now, whoever holds the power should be accountable to the people. Wouldn't you agree? Whoever holds power should be accountable to the people. That's why we treasure our U.S. Constitution. It provides accountability to the people. Marxism says we can't change it little by little. we got to have an abrupt revolution. And we're going to rally the people and get them all riled up by creating an us versus them mentality. The oppressed versus the oppressor. To create anger and division and conflict, to demonize each other, to create vitriol, hatred, disdain, and disgust, just so they can justify grabbing the power without accountability. Uncovering unconscious bias or reimagining society is the primary motive of CRT, and the goal is to get the prize, the power. This concept comes from Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. He wrote that book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, in 2020, right after the death of George Floyd. 
And this book's taught in our colleges, taught in our schools, taught in our military. It's even in our churches. He believed that the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. He teaches that there are racist and anti-racist and nothing in between. That's how it programs his audience. He's proposed a federal department of anti-racism unaccountable to voters or legislatures with the power to suppress racist thoughts and who decides, to nullify and abolish any law at any level of the government if it's not anti-racist. And let us look at Derrick Bell for a moment. Derrick Bell was an attorney in the 1950s. A Mississippi family said, I want to change the law. We need more money to support our black schools. Because remember, they have black schools and white schools. They wanted to be as good as the white schools. Why not? But Derrick convinced them that the better idea was to desegregate the school. He supervised 300 desegregation cases, which became the basis for Brown versus Board of Education before the U.S. Supreme Court. Desegregation happened because of Derrick Bell. And I'm sad to say that the governor of Alabama defied the order of the U.S. Supreme Court. He supported the white parents who wanted to create separate private schools for whites only, and he refused to protect the black students being bused to the white schools. Unsurprisingly, and I support this, Derrick Bell rethought his advice to the families of Mississippi. But that's when he started teaching that America is racist. Now, keep in mind, that was back in 1950 and 1960. The current teaching of CRT is that racism is permanent, that racism cannot be changed in the present system, so the present system must be destroyed and another system put in its place. If you want to see a life where racism does not exist, where everybody can be a boy if she wants to be, a utopia, that will never exist. And if you follow this path, you will be disappointed. I see the red light. Give me just a few moments. Robin D'Angelo wrote in White Fragility that CRT is unapologetically rooted in identity politics. Identity politics arose out of a radical socialist group tied to Marxism. Race is just used as a tool to divide us, to create an us versus them mentality for the goal of the prize, power. If you think it's not in our schools, read the book of Richard Delgado that was intended for high school level audience. He wrote it in 2001. The goal is to force a Marxist theory into everything. Oh, they used the bourgeoisie and the proletariat words back when. They're now using racist, sexist, ableist, homophobic, chauvinistic. Marxism wants to abolish private property, and to do so, it creates conflict for the prize, its power. They will use identity politics, racial conflict, anger against the police, ire toward the government to create a conflict that will instigate the uprising, the revolution that's needed to uproot the system. Why? So they can have power without accountability. As constitutional scholars, we understand the importance and the value of accountability to the people. 
We understand the need to maintain a system that treats all people, no matter their race, nationality, gender, religion, as one nation under God. We abhor discrimination, even racial discrimination. Yes, there are a few among us who may must be stopped, and we're doing that. And though I would like to see a world without racism, without hate, without distress, it won't happen. There's no utopia. We must learn how to get along with one another. And if we allow the conflict to occur between us that is instigated by this concept called CRT, an ideological theory, and as some may say, a religion of its own, we will fail to have a government that is accountable to the people, and we will all suffer. So I encourage you to do your own research. Look at all sides of the issue. I will be providing a huge bibliography to give you a start. And then have this discussion with me or those in your community so we can find unity among ourselves, not conflict. Thank you, Mr. Toastmaster. Deborah Sue, as always, another great speech, very effective presentation, and certainly emotional as you expect under your category of pathways. You gave us another great per, uh, perspective on CRT and identity, and identity politics and the history of critical race opinions. Thank you, Deborah. Chris. Thank you. I took a little bit of time before today's meeting and did a search on critical race theory in K through 12. Saw a lot of inflammatory stuff and no evidence. A lot of claims about it being infiltrating this and that, but no specifics, because that's how this actually works. Critical race theory is history and a study on how that history has affected our society. You may not like the particular endings to their scientific studies, but that's exactly what these things are. What they aren't is what, quite frankly, and I hate saying this because I'm supposed to be civil, what I heard today. Not really. Critical race theory is history. And its highest impact on society was taught in law school. And frankly, only in law school. But to ignore all the impact that racial discord has had on our entire history by vilifying it as critical race theory, as I'm hearing it done on a, almost a daily basis. Frankly, I'm saddened that this is what we're devolved into talking about on racial discussions. What happened, happened. Arguing about why, well, you can have your theories, but to say it shouldn't be spoken about, it shouldn't be taught, because you have a an idea that it means something else? I think better of this country. And I think we could be much better. And 
quit trying to give today's people blame for yesterday's, but only blame today's people for how they're acting today and what they are accepting and ignoring. And that's all I have to say. Thank you, Fritz. Deborah, the floor is yours. Only because no one else raised their hand. As a discrimination attorney, discrimination history and what it is and how it's interacting in our country must be taught. But how it's being taught is by should be determined by the parents. Parents should approve the history books and should approve what's being taught in the schools. But I am not saying, nor do I think anyone is saying, that we shouldn't be teaching the racial history. Absolutely not. That's part of our history. That's part of what happened. It must be taught. Our our students learn about the letter from um, Martin Luther King from prison. His letter in uh, that he wrote to the people. That's a very powerful letter. Our students learn that. Here in Alabama, we teach the importance of discrimination. So we're not saying discrimination should not be taught. We're saying that the premise of CRT, that you're only racist or anti-racist, that you're only, that it's a race, a systemic problem in America, that's what should not be taught. And who should decide? Parents of the students. Back to you. Thank you, Deborah. 